So to be able to just sort of stick with it, and, but then it's the belief, right? The team, they, they, they're buying into what we have to do. I can hear the chatter on the bench. It's all the things that I would be saying. Um, and coaches are a part of that and the, and the leadership's part of it, but you can just hear what's going on on the bench and they're saying and, and trying to do the right things. It's not always perfect, but then to just stick with it, I can hear the belief, you know, and then we find a way to make it three, two, and then three, three, and, you know, we make a nice play in overtime to draw a penalty and, and, and we end up getting the wins. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us here at Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, as well as Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, J.J. Derez. With me, of course, Arif Dean and Patrick Stedman making us sound good. And that was the voice of Jared Bednar that you just heard after the perhaps the most exciting game we've seen all season, the avalanche uh, 4-3 victory over the Boston Bruins there. Uh, this is our midweek podcast where we come and break down a couple of latest games, so let's break them down. I mean, I, again, I really enjoyed hearing Bednar kind of, I guess, reminisce on, on the way the energy at the bench was going, the way the team was kind of pumping each other up and getting re- getting each other ready for that comeback because 3-1 against a Boston Bruins team, a Boston Bruins team that's been pretty good so far this year in 2022, and to be able to make a comeback like that and, and just continue the streak of January and just continue the patterns that we've seen all January, I mean, another OT and another OT win. It was just a fun one to watch and a fun one to hear Jared Bednar's thoughts after the war- after the game. So I have a theory about that game, and a lot of people kind of echoed these sentiments that, um, you know, right or wrong, whether you agree with it or not, this is just what I think legitimately happened. We're going to get into the Nathan McKinnon hit, but Nathan McKinnon gets hit, and the Avalanche kind of lose their mind over it. Understandably so. It's your best player. The, the hit wasn't necessarily dirty. In the second period, so the Avalanche took a one nothing lead into the second period. In the second period... They legitimately said, forget about the game. Let's get Taylor Hall. Then they went into the intermission down three to one. They came back for the third period and they said, you know what? Forget about Taylor Hall. Let's just win this game. And they did. Simple as that. They just came back. They scored two goals against one of the better teams against a goalie that was red hot and stopping them. They needed a goal with 30 seconds left to tie it up. They got to overtime. They drew a penalty. They won the game. This is what this team does. It's unbelievable. That belief that Jared Bednar just spoke about that's what this team genuinely th- believes they have. They know they can do it. They know going into every game. We've talked about it all year. They play one good period, they win a game. But what we've seen in January 2022 is that period might come when they're already trailing 3-1 to one or against Toronto 4-1 to one or 2 to nothing against the Anaheim Ducks way back on January 2nd. They have a belief of knowing that we're a damn good team and as soon as we decide, hey, we want this game, they're going to take it and no one's going to stop them. I think the fact that they have that belief is very awesome, for lack of a better term, I guess. But I think what I find even more awesome here, Arif, is the fact that you have a team that's completely bought in from top to bottom, right? I love those comments of Jared Bednar saying that he's hearing the team say things that he hears himself say. And that's just the sign of a team that's all on the same page, right? From the very best guy to the very worst guy, everybody is moving in the exact same direction in the exact same way. And that's how you're going to find the magic that you're finding with this team because that's really what it feels like, right? I mean, good teams find ways to win. Good teams seem to have 
a bit of magic that trails them and just follows them everywhere they go. That's exactly what you saw with this team last night and with that game. I mean, you look at that Landeskog goal with the empty net. We've seen it kind of happen all season long, but such a beautiful pass from Kadri, such great awareness of where his teammates are. Linus Olmark loses Landeskog. Landeskog buries it. And again, just magic following the team. So uh, that doesn't come unless the team is all on the same page and the energy and the vibes of the team are just moving in the right direction. I think that's exactly what you have here. And you kind of hear that in in Coach Jared Bednar's postgame. Yeah, and what I love about that final play, I don't know if you caught this during the game, but when the Avalanche came and made that rush up the ice with about 50 seconds left to set up in the offensive zone, get the puck to Kadri, beautiful pass to Landeskog, and he scores it into what looked like a wide-open net with 36 seconds left. The Boston Bruins had cleared the puck down the zone. Again, it was about 45 to 50 seconds left. The Boston Bruins had cleared the puck down the zone, and you know, you're waiting for that icing. You're waiting for the defenseman to get back and the icing to get blown. But as the puck was going back, the ref waved it off. No icing. And you can visibly see Gabe Landeskog screaming at the linesman or ref or whichever one of the officials because the icing was waved off. And not 10 seconds later, the Avalanche being the team that what do we know the Avalanche <laughs> are good for? The Avalanche are good for rushing the puck up the ice, starting with their defensemen, starting with Kel McCarr. And that's exactly what they did. Landeskog was pissed off. The faceoff wasn't coming back. But you know what? They probably would have lost the faceoff. So they said, you know what? Screw it. Don't give us the icing. We're going to do what we're best at. And that's getting the puck from out of our zone into the offensive zone at the snap of a finger because that's what they do. They're such a good rush team. They break out like no other team in the NHL. And it's because of the system Jared's got in play. It's because of guys like Kale McCarr. So they get the puck up the ice. It gets to Nazem Kadri. He fakes the shot, makes this unbelievable pass to Gabe Landeskog that goes by like six guys, goes through all their skates. And as Gabe Landeskog put it, he said, that's a long movement for the goalie, so I just wanted to get the shot off quick. He did. He scored a tie game. Like, it's everything about this team is just magic right now. It's just so, like, picturesque. It's so perfect what they're doing. I don't. I, I disagree with Landis Cog there. I don't think it was as much a tough movement for the goalie as much as he just simply played the wrong guy. It looked like Olmark was expecting Miko Rantanen to get the puck, but instead it oh. went past Rantanen all the way to Landis Cog. But that's exactly that's what you point. get when you have that many weapons on the ice, right? I mean, that's what makes this team so good at having that man advantage or so dangerous on the power play. When they get an extra leg up on you, it's it's game over for you because there's so many weapons, there's so many different guys that can, I guess, take you down that you have no idea what to expect. So what you're telling me is... Nathan McKinnon goes down in the first period, which again, we will discuss, I promise. And Gabe Landeskog's the one that scored, and that's not the one Olmark thought would shoot because there were other weapons, one of which was Nazem Kadri, who had the puck and chose to fake the shot and pass instead. But he still had another weapon in Miko Rantanen to go to and another weapon in Kel McCart to go to all the while. Landeskog's the one that scored, and Kadri's the one that had the puck, and McKinnon's out of the out of the game. So basically what you're telling me is everybody on the ice was a weapon. And even if Darcy Kemper was on the ice, he would have been a weapon too. Cause this team is, I mean, I'm making a joke there, but this team is loaded and, and I don't blame Olmark. This is, this is the biggest issue other teams are having with the avalanche is this isn't a one line team. You got depth on every single line. You got scorers on every single line. Val Nachushkin suddenly is, is, uh, you know, has, you know, he was missing for three games. And since he's come back, you've realized just how good he is. If you hadn't already earlier in the season, we've been pumping his tires since freaking training camp. There's just so many weapons that as a goaltender, I, I kind of like what you just said there. You know, Gabe Landeskog's not a goalie. He's never played it. That's, that's your job. 
And the biggest problem there was Olmark, if he wasn't thinking shot, he was thinking there's this guy, number 96, who has the most goals on the team in January and the most goals at Ball Arena this year and one of the best goal scorers in the NHL, who's going to get the puck? And it ends up going to another guy and that guy scores. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're Linus Olmark and you're down a man and you see all these heavy hitters coming up against you and you've got the crowd against you, you've got the clock against you, in your head you're just sitting in that crease saying, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, <laughs> and just trying to react as best as you can to wherever the puck is. And, you know, ex that's exactly what he did. He tried to react as best as he can. He was wrong, and boom, like you said, it was practically an empty net. So no fault to, to Linus Olmark, but just, man, th this is a dangerous team when they uh, have a man advantage. I mean, I, I'm kind of questioning their ability to play at 5-on-5 five five right now. They're not exactly scoring, but they're not they're not giving up goals either at 5-on-5, five five, which is kind of interesting, at least not at a, a, a crazy big rate. So, um, yeah, I, I question that a little bit, but with the extra man on the ice, I, I mean, this team's scary they are and and it doesn't matter if it's a six on five a five on four or like we saw in overtime with kel mccarr a four on three mm -hmm. but i think the biggest number you just mentioned there is something we've talked about all year and this was something that let's let's peel back the curtain of what it means to be a sports writer i was in the press box yesterday for a game that started at 8 22 p.m locally it was not only a late start but it started 15 minutes late from that late start because of the join in progress huh? on tna yeah huh? dude i got home huh? i got home at like two in the morning and you and i were up at 9 a.m driving in a snowstorm <laughs> it was terrible but um back to the point let's peel back the curtain during the first and second period i already had a bunch of notes down and i already had 75 percent of an article written because that's what you do you get it ready you kind of plug in as the game goes on and my entire thing was centered around the point that the Avalanche had been scoring at more than a four goals per game pace the entire season. I've been mentioning it since November, the first time since the 95-96 Penguins that anybody has scored at this kind of pace. But in the end, as the season goes on, that's going to drop. The biggest issue the Avalanche had is they were letting in a lot of goals too. Obviously, Darcy Kemper was your starter, Johansson, Andonen all the different backups they had before Frankie was finally healthy. But your starter wasn't doing what Grubauer was doing last year. Your starter was struggling to kind of get acclimated to his new team. While January starts, they're still letting in a lot of goals. Seattle got three on them. The uh, Toronto Maple Leafs got four on them really early in the game. And then they lose that game in Nashville in overtime, which I believe was a 5-4 to four loss, you know, the phantom too-many-men penalty. And since that day, they've won eight straight games. And in those eight games, including the three yesterday, which accounts for 25% of them, they've let in 12 goals in only eight games. It's crazy. They've gone way up. Obviously, three of those are shutouts. So they've let in 12 goals in the remaining five games. But that's still less than the three goal per game pace, which is what they were allowing in December when they were winning games and November when they were winning games. So this team has tightened up defensively. They're not scoring five on five. But they're not letting in the goals either. And as their penalty kill improves, as their goaltending improves, which it has, shout out to both Darcy Kemper and our Lord and Savior, Pavel Fransuz, uh, the Avalanche defensively are looking like the team they were last year all over again, but they look more dangerous on offense, even though they lost all the weapons they did. Along with that, one thing that I'm noticing that I'm really liking, and this has changed since the, the beginning of January, and that's the first period play, right? We saw early on in the month that the Avs were going down early in the game, early in the first period. Jared Bednar come after the game and say, I didn't like our start. They're not so much letting that happen anymore, and they're even getting on the board first. It's not amazing, but again... 
they're not giving up the first goal. And I think that's the part you really want to hang your hat on. Not the fact that they're scoring the first goal, but they're not giving up the first goal. They're not coming out the first uh, out of the gate in the first period week, and we're not here, and I didn't like our starts, at least not in the last couple weeks. So, um, again, you, you got to just take it for what it is. Like we talked last week, they're, they're still fortunate to be able to correct these things while winning. It sounds like they're, that's a piece that they've corrected is those first period starts, those getting behind early. So on to the next piece, and, you know, they're just building and building and building, and, oh, shit, the sky's the limit on this team. I don't, I don't know when they, they'll even lose again. It might be tomorrow. It might never be again. 18-1-1 in their last 20. Um, if the sky's the limit on this team, how the hell have they not already reached that sky? Like, where can it go from here? They've played 41 games. They've won 30. That's half the season. They're on pace to win 60 games. And their first 10 games of the year, they were 4-5-1. and one. It's incredible what they're doing. And I know the regular season doesn't matter, and it only matters in the playoffs and all this stuff. And I get it. But please... Please, everybody that's been tweeting me that for the last eight game winning streak and 18 one and one stretch and entire freaking season, except for the first month of the season when they were four, five, one and everybody was screaming, the sky's falling. Let's win the regular season. Then they start winning and now you're like, it doesn't matter. Can't please everybody. Apparently, can we please take a second to appreciate what this team is doing after 15 years of what this team couldn't do? But it all feels so different, right? I mean, we talked a couple a couple weeks ago about how they basically had the exact same start in the last three seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look back to last year, I remember having a conversation with you saying, this team looks like they're peaking a little bit too early. But you, you, I don't feel that way this year. It doesn't feel like they're peaking. It feels like here we are on the 41st game, uh, 41 games through the schedule here, so we still have another 41 to go. It feels like this team still has 41 games to continue to get better and to continue to build on things that they're not liking rather than this is the peak. No, this kind of feels like they're uh, start just continuing to climb and continuing to ramp up the, the graph, so to speak. It goes back to what we talked about on Sunday, that mindset shift that this team has. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It feels different this year because they're winning games the right way. And I know what you're thinking. There's no what you're thinking. There's no way in hell anybody can say it's you're winning the right way if you're trailing three to one so many times or four to one or whatever it is. But the reality is, those games that they were trailing four to one and three to one, they shouldn't have won. And in years past, they wouldn't have won. And in years past, instead of being nine zero oh, and one in their past ten, they'd be seven two and one. They'd be six three and one. They'd be five four and one. And you would call it just a blip in the radar, blip in the schedule, and then you'll get better. But right now what they're doing is every single game is winnable because they have that mindset shift and because they have that belief that Jared Bednar was talking about. Because they have what Kale McCarr said, which goes back to what I said about them, you know, eventually my theory of them saying, you know what, let's actually win this game. Kale McCarr said going into the third period, we knew that we still have a chance to win the game and we're never out of it. They were down three to one. They looked terrible. Boston Bruins fans were outnumbering Avalanche fans at Ball Arena. At least it sounded like it. There were more Bruins chants than there were Avalanche chants. The Avalanche were reeling because of the Taylor Hall thing, which I promise you we're going to talk about that. That's a really good thing to talk about. It's a big topic. They were they were reeling. They looked embarrassed. Eric Johnson takes the dumbest penalty I've ever seen. I love EJ, but damn, that was bad. They have all these odds stacked against them. Their winning streak's about to come to an end at home and overall their seven-game winning streak. And they go into the second intermission and just go, yeah, we're not out of it. We're only down two goals. So be it. 
Uh, let's do it. We'll we'll score one. Sam Gerrard will just trickle one in. Hey, Curtis, thanks for the goal in the first period to not make it a three-goal deficit. We would have still came back from down three goals, but you know what? You made it a little bit easier for us. Gerrard gets one. They get the tying goal. They get to overtime. Val Natrushkin does his thing to draw the penalty, and then it's over. The rest is history. So it's it's the belief. It's the mindset shift. It's the fact that they are not doing this you know, the analytics darlings that used to look at the Avalanche and the Patrick Waugh era and say, yeah, they won 52 games this year, but they're getting outshot 50 to 20 every single game and Varlamov is standing on his head. They're not doing it that way. They're the team controlling play. They're the team possessing the puck. When they go down, it's because the PK is struggling a little bit. It's because there's dumb penalties being taken. But then they fix the issues like Jared talked about last week. These are, or, or Gabe Landeskog talked about last week when it sounded like they lost the game that they had won. He said, we can look this over and video and, and, and correct the issues we've been making. They corrected the issues and then they come out and win two more games, one of which against Boston. Everything about this is different this year. Yeah, I mean, exactly what you mentioned with Eric Johnson, right? I think that's a, a perfect glimpse right into the mindset of this team because here's Eric Johnson, a leader, a big part of this team, both in minutes and just character, makes a dumb play, and Jared Bednar does not hesitate to sit him down for pretty much the rest of the game. And, you know, we've talked about how he holds his players liable, right? He, he makes sure to hold their feet to the fire when it comes to hard work and effort. And when it comes to making dumb plays, and even a guy like Eric Johnson is not safe from the wrath of Jared Bednar when it comes to making stupid plays, even if you do it, even if it's a short little glimpse like it was with EJ, right? But he put he j- put the game in jeopardy, almost cost the team their streak, almost cost the team a couple points there, and uh, he paid for it. Yeah, and I mean, in the end, Eric Johnson was the... Um he was just the guy that had to take the fall for the team because it wasn't just him. It was it was the mindset of the team and the bench during that second period. The only thing they see is red. The only thing they see mm-hmm. is Taylor Hall. You know, you know that pesky, dirty son of a bitch, Taylor Hall. That all he does is go out there and kill everybody. I'm just kidding. He's he's not a dirty player, and he you know the the hit was ultimately accidental in some ways, but that's all they could think. So everybody had their screws loose, but screws loose. EJ took it too far. And that's why Jared sat him. He only ended up playing just over nine minutes. I think he had one shift in the third period, unless this NHL shift chart is wrong. I don't remember seeing him out there, but he played 909. And in order to make up for that, uh, Jack Johnson played 1758, which is pretty high for him. Curtis McDermott played 831. Shout out Curtis. He got 19 shifts in yesterday and four shots on goal. But Kale McCarr played 31 minutes and 49 seconds. Devontae's played 31 minutes and 21 seconds. Sam Gerrard seems a little low, only 20-36. So it was 7-8 and eight that carried the, the 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 brunt of the work for the Avalanche, like they have been pretty much all season on defense. Um, but what we saw there with EJ was a player that Jared said, hey, no disrespect to you, but we're here to win this game. You did something stupid. We're going to sit you down. And that was the story of the game. The story of the game was the Avalanche being on the penalty kill. Behind the net, Eric Johnson goes for one cross-check. The ref lets it go. Two cross-checks. He lets it go. Three lets it go. Fourth one, all right, I'm going to put my hand up. And then he still got two more whacks in before the <laughs> avalanche shuts the puck. And then he has the audacity to turn around and look at the ref and be like, what I do? What did I do? What are you calling what me are a you penalty watching? <laughs> What are you watching? I didn't do anything. I'm just here killing a penalty like a blue-collar defenseman in the NHL. Like it was, It was a really bad play, but again, this is... This is what you have from a team like this. Jared Bednar is going to sit you down if you deserve to be sat. And uh, he's going to rely on somebody else to lead the show. And, and you know, Eric Johnson, I bet you appreciates that as well. 
I don't think Eric Johnson's sitting at home right now or, you know, on a flight to Chicago right now, pissy because he had to sit. He's like, hey, I'm just glad we won the game and hopefully next game I can get, you know, back into helping the team win rather than doing what I did. All right, guys. Well, I guess that's a great time to uh, take a second and tell you guys about DraftKings Sportsbook. Four teams remain in the NFL playoffs, and that means only four teams left for you to bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? You can experience the conference championships with same-game parlays. Combine, combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code MHS for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. As a Detroit Lions fan and how disgustingly terrible it sounds to even say that because we suck at football. Shout out to Matt Stafford, man. I hope he makes it to the Super Bowl this year. Just got to get through the 49ers and he's there. But let's get back to hockey. Yeah, I have no idea what you're saying. Um, I'm a little <laughs> bit disappointed to see that it's 21 or older. Emphasis, 21 or older. I've got a younger brother, really a half-brother. He's turning 18 next week. He was excited to get a DraftKings sportsbook going. But i got to tell him, three more years till you get to use my promo code. Um, but yeah. 21. I was going to say, did you forget? Because we've been doing these ad reads for long enough. I've been robotically, must be 21 or older, <laughs> Colorado disclaimer, blah, blah, blah. I guess, yeah, I guess I forgot. But yeah, again, emphasis, 21, it's 21. It's crazy that we have a couple listeners out there. I remember earlier in the year, uh, somebody reached out to you saying, I can't gamble and I can't drink because I'm under 21. So both <laughs> of your sponsors don't really do much for me, but I wish I could help them out. It's crazy that we've got people hey, that man. young listening to us. I, I've been listening to hockey podcasts and radio shows since I was a 13-year-old little nerd. So I love it. I mean, I, I think it's it's great. These are the these are the type of fans that are gonna that are gonna build like lifers. And you know, it's when you're at that age. You know, fun little fact about me, and we'll get into this more in a different episode. But the Colorado Avalanche used to have a fan forum like attached to their website pre-Twitter, and then it ended up going down in like 2019. I was part of this fan forum, 2005, 2006, 2007. I was part of this forum that was connected to the Avalanche's website run by whatever mods there was where all we did was, you know, it's kind of like Discord and Twitch now. All we did was sit there and talk about hockey. Like that was, that forum was the way that I learned that David Abisher was traded for Jose Theodore. Like this was a long time ago and I was 13 years old. So it doesn't surprise me that there is younger than 18, younger than 21 listening to us because Hockey fan has no limits, man. You being a ho- bah, that's a terrible way of saying it. Being a hockey fan has no limits. It's it's something that starts from a young age, and if you love it, you love it. Yeah, I mean, recently I've gotten the, actually, I guess I've gotten multiple opportunities to interview a guy like Greg Wyshynski, right? So hopefully, maybe one day one of these younger listeners one day is interviewing me on their future radio show or podcast and says, "I've been listening to you since I was eighteen, and probably not though. All we've got is Evan. 
that's uh, gonna hook us up with more ping pong. He's the only My one that man, loves us. Man, Evan. <laughs> oh no! Shout out to the Twitter guy that tweeted us yesterday, right after the game. The first thing on his mind while everybody's losing their mind, Ball Arena's going crazy that the Avs came back and won. The first and only thing on his mind was, "I can't wait to listen to Arif and JJ talk about this game." Yeah. So shout out to Zach. you. Those people do exist. Zach, thank you, Zach. Shout out, Zach. Habibi of the show. I, I hope we, I hope we knocked it out of the park for you. I don't know, but. Let's keep going. The show goes on, Eric. We haven't even talked about what you've teased about three or four times already, and that's the hit to Nathan McKinnon. Obviously, you know, everybody initially reacts. It looks dirty. You feel like it's dirty. It's Nathan McKinnon going down, and the camera pans to him, and he's gushing blood out of his face. So you're thinking <sighs> the worst immediately, right? But, of course, with the magic of technology and slow-motion cameras, we see that it wasn't quite as dirty as we thought, and, you know, Perhaps his own stick was the uh, the reason for such an injury. So it was gruesome. It was disgusting to see the way his nose was shaped and it was sideways. But um, as someone with a fe- as a fellow broken nosiest, I don't know if that's how you say it. I'm sure it isn't. But I also have a broken nose. He'll get over it. He'll be fine. He'll, he's a warrior. He'll he'll be right back into it. But it just really seems like Nathan McKinnon is cursed with just frustration, right? He he can never just have a smooth, chill time. Something ridiculous and annoying always has to happen to him. But what I like is it never happens in the playoffs. True, true. It never happens in the playoffs. He's always healthy, he's always rocking, he's always playing and scoring a ton of goals. So the thing is with Nathan McKinnon is, yeah, he's not going to win as many Hart trophies as he should, and he might not win as many uh, uh, Art Ross trophies or any at all, because of all these issues, but it kind of reminds me of Sidney Crosby. Crosby never, you know, rarely ever plays 82 games, if even 80, if even 70 most years. And uh, he kind of goes through it. He goes through the ring. Remember the mumps? Crosby had the mumps. Yeah. He looked like Quagmire for a little while from Family Guy. Like, he's, you go through everything, but as soon as you get to the playoffs, he's ready. He's locked in. He wins you games. Obviously, he wants to win a little bit more than two rounds. As he said last year, I haven't won shit, but... It's good that it never happens in the playoffs. Now, in regards to the hit, the Taylor Hall hit, I obviously was one of the people that initially was like, this is a dirty, dirty hit, and Taylor Hall's going to get suspended. To everybody that was tweeting me saying saying I kind of went a little overboard, saying I don't think Taylor Hall's going to play again today or tonight and maybe for the next few games, you have to understand I'm not watching the game on TNT like all of you. I'm not seeing the hit and then hearing Darren Pang, who was at ice level, or wherever he was, right away be like, hey, that wasn't as bad as you think it was. It looked like his stick got him, and then instantly a replay. We're up in the press box where we get a replay about a minute after it happened. So for a minute, all everybody's seeing is Nathan McKinnon on the ice, literally rolling around in a pool of his blood. You can tell he was writhing in pain. He was kicking his legs. And then when he got up, the first thing I did before looking at the replay was I took out my phone and took a picture of the ice where there was this pool of blood because it was so fascinating, as, as nasty as that sounds. And then the replays came later after the officials started to review it. But by that point on TNT, all of you guys have already seen it 15 times. So I'm sorry I got it wrong initially like everybody else did. Now that we're past that, it was not a dirty hit. Uh, Jared Bednar didn't like the hit. He says it's the kind of hit that the NHL is trying to get rid of. And, you know, it kind of goes back to my Jacob McDonald argument, the Nathan McKinnon and Jacob Truba argument where, you know, it wasn't a dirty hit by the rulebook per se, but is it something you want to see? Which, by the way, holy shit, man, Nathan McKinnon's taken some hits this year. But um, the biggest thing that I noticed, there was two things. Number one, the initial point of contact was Nathan McKinnon's hands. But because he had his hands up here with his stick, you know, up by his by his chin, by his nose, and his stick right there, 
when that contact was made with his hand, it pushed the stick up into his face. Now, I don't know the physics behind this because there was a big amount, there was a heavy amount of contact made between Taylor Hall and, the, and, and obviously Nathan McKinnon, the collision in general. But had the stick not been there, I feel like Taylor Hall's shoulder, which went into McKinnon's arm, would have drove from his arm straight into his head, probably leading to a concussion of some sort and a very dangerous hit. So I think, and I don't know yet if Nathan McKinnon has a concussion. I don't think he does, just based off what Jared said yesterday with Nathan leaving the game, you know, at his own accord and basically driving home with probably a broken nose. I think had the stick not been there, Nathan McKinnon probably would have had a concussion and Taylor Hall would have probably gotten suspended. But the stick being there and driving the pressure away from his head and just basically ripping his nose off as gruesome as that sounds was a better case scenario, even though it was still super painful. I can see how you say that. I don't know. I haven't really put much thought towards that. I guess my only real thought about it was whether or not they had to re-break his nose, you know, because it looked like yeah. it was so freaking broken that that was the only solution. So that sounds gruesome. Yep. That sounds miserable for him. And again, as somebody who has a broken nose myself, I know it's going to be tough for him to, to get used to it. It's going to be tough for him to, to be able to breathe for a little bit. I can easily see maybe a little bit of a dip in his game as, you know, he, he fights through the sleepless nights. It's he, the regular season. Who yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> He's going to have to acclimate a little bit to this new nose of his. But, you know, again, hopefully they did have to re-break it to kind of put it back into position so breathing is still a thing. Because, you know, for me, I've got only one good side of my nose that I can breathe out of and it, it kind of sucks a lot of times. So hopefully he still gets to use his too. But um, I guess the real question, and like you said, the Avs came out in that second period seeing red and just wanting to go after Taylor Hall. We've seen Taylor Hall kind of do this stuff in the past and never answer the bell. So that brings the question to you, Arif. Should Taylor Hall have had to answer the bell yesterday? I don't think so. Um, and I'm not soft and I'm not going to sit here and do what everybody was making fun of me for two months ago when I was trying to knock the Jacob McDonald and uh, uh, Jacob Truba, Nathan McKinnon hits out of the game. But I, I don't even remember who hit McDonald. Lomberg, I think. I f mm -hmm. feel like it was. Yeah, Lomberg and Truba, those hits. But a player shouldn't have to answer the bell for a clean hit as much as Gabe Landeskog wanted him to. But it doesn't mean that the Avalanche can also handle it the way that they did. So there's a line. Don't cross the line. And that line is something that we know very damn well in Denver. Because in 2004, when Steve Moore hit Marcus Nasland, all you heard were Vancouver players talking about a bounty on this guy's head and we're going to get him, we're going to get him, we're going to get him. And then we saw what they ended up doing. The Avalanche didn't cross that line. Don't cross that line. That's the only thing. So if you want to go at a guy and rattle him, because Taylor Hall was rattled. You know you have a target on your back. But if you're the avalanche, why would you let up with that target? Yeah, you have Gabe Landeskog pushing you up against the boards a few times. You have Eric Johnson throwing a couple of hacks and whacks at your back. Curtis McDermott pushing and shoving you a little bit. Is any of that anything dangerous? No. Nothing too crazy. But it's enough to make number 71, one of the better players on the Boston Bruins, get completely thrown off his game. You can't just let him forget about it and, you know, get unrattled, I should say, and be back to being Taylor Hall and scoring goals on you. Taylor was a non-factor yesterday because of that. Because every time he was on the ice, all he could think of, it could be freaking Sam Gerrard who was going at guys yesterday. Someone's coming at me. I have people breathing down my neck. I can't be the effective player that I am. 
I agree, but look at what it did to the Avalanche as well, right? I mean, they did a good job of getting themselves out of it, but it put them in a rut. It put the entire team kind of off focus, right? And, and so, you know, the, look at the two options. He answers the bell right away, gets in a fight, everybody moves on, plays a normal game, or he doesn't answer the bell. Suddenly the Avs players are, are more pissed off at him than any than they initially were, and their game is now derailed, and, and Boston kind of controlled it until... They found focus but, again. So uh, who knows what the right exactly? One. But they found they f- they found focus again. That's the most important point. They said we're gonna get him. Yeah, we're gonna yeah, get him. I'm just saying. Who knows what yeah. the right answer is here, right? Because look look what it did to the Avalanche ultimately. Exactly. But that the the, the most important thing there is they didn't cross a line and keep seeing red. Right. I had a lot of people tweeting me. Forget about the game. Fuck the game. If you're the Avalanche, screw the game. You've already got 29 wins. You're already the best team in the NHL. Who gives a shit about this arbitrary win? Kill him. At Ball Arena? <laughs> Not kill him, but keep going at the Bruins. Let's sacrifice two points and let's sacrifice a W in the win in order to show the Boston Bruins and most importantly, the rest of the NHL that you cannot hit our star player and get away with it. So that's kind of the idea that I had in mind. That's the theory that I was talking about in the beginning that I think the Avalanche were thinking of. Forget about the game. Let's get Taylor Hall. But not let's just get Taylor Hall. Let's show the Vegas Golden Knights, who don't have Ryan Reeves anymore, that if Ryan Reeves is going to come against, come up on, on Ryan Graves, who is not here anymore again, then we're not going to forget about it. We're not going to let you get away with it. I think they made that statement, but in doing so, they went overboard. The Eric Johnson penalty, making it a five on three, completely forgetting about the fact that it was a game. I think it was completely hilarious and kind of ironic that the one guy that you would have expected to be the guy running around and throwing hits was the only guy that had to go in the force 40 minutes. It was Curtis McDermott. <laughs> so it was kind of flipped. Sam Gerrard's out here punching people and Curtis McDermott is scoring a snipe <laughs> from the blue line. Like nothing made sense. They didn't cross that line. So should Taylor Hall have answered the bell? No. And that's what Jared Bednar said yesterday. He was asked about him and his playing career because Jared was the kind of guy, kind of like Gabe Landeskog yesterday, when when he was playing in the ECHL and in other leagues, he was the guy that was sticking up for his teammates. So that was his role. The most important thing with Jared was when he answered the question of should Taylor Hall answer the bell, he said, I'm not going to talk for Taylor Hall. The Avalanche did what they did. You know, his team, the, my team did what they tried to do to Taylor Hall. He didn't answer the bell. But that doesn't mean I don't like the way that my team handled it. They didn't cross the line, but they got the message across. You can't hit Nathan McKinnon and expect nothing to happen. I understand it was a clean hit, and this sounds very barbaric. But you got to remember, sports don't make sense. Okay? I hate when people sit there and be like, how come in hockey you can punch your colleague and then sit in the box for five minutes? I can't do that at work. How come in hockey you can you know, punch a guy in the back of the head and you know, have pretty much assault a guy and not get arrested i'd get sports are not reality they don't make sense neither does this taylor hall had a clean hit on nathan mckinnon that broke the shit out of mckinnon's nose and splattered blood all over the ice but he doesn't have to answer the bell but the avalanche should also be able to knock him off his game like they did even though he doesn't need to respond like you can't connect the dots it doesn't make sense it just it is what it is (laughs) Yeah, and I don't blame Taylor Hall, right? I mean, sure what? he could he could go ahead and feel like a tough guy and answer the bell, but and you know the right now probably the typical hockey guys throwing stones at Taylor Hall thinking he's soft, but I've known people who 
whose inc- whose entire careers were ended from just one single fight, one punch landing wrong. And when you're a guy like Taylor Hall, what what's the use in that? So you know, I'd rather people that I don't know call me soft than lose my career. I remember a young Gabe Landeskog getting held by the jersey right up under his chin by one Boston Bruin named Milan Lucic, who ragdolled him a little bit and said, fight me, you little bitch. Gabe said, fuck off. I'm not fighting this guy. <laughs> and Lucic gave him a couple of a couple of shakes. And Gabe said, I'm smarter than that. He didn't literally say it, but that's ultimately what he did. He didn't fight him. Of course you're going to pick your battles wisely. If you're Taylor Hall, why the hell would you fight Gabe Landeskog? Mm-hmm. If you're Gabe Landeskog, why the hell would you fight Milan Lucic? If you're anybody in the NHL, why the hell would you fight Robin Leonard? You know what I'm saying? Like, these are the things that you do. You pick your battles. So I agree. I don't think Taylor Hall should have had to answer the bell. But I also don't think that means the Avalanche should have just let him go. They got the message across for 40 minutes. And then when they let him go, they put the entire team on their heels and took the game back over. And had the best third period I've seen them play in a long time, even though they've played a lot of good ones lately. They put 18 shots on the Bruins. They barely tied it up, but they did, and they won the game. They got all the messages they needed to get across. Don't hit our guy. Taylor Hall, you're going to be a non-factor today, and we're still going to win this game. Yeah, so I guess with that, let's look back at the Nathan McKinnon injury. He's currently listed as day-to-day, correct? So we don't really know exactly when he'll be back. It can't be too, too long, but... What do the Avalanche do in his absence? What do you think that top line looks like for the time being and uh, just everything else? How, how, do the, how does the wind blow with Nathan McKinnon out of the lineup again? Reminding you that the first time Nathan McKinnon was out of the lineup, or I guess the last time he was out of the lineup, that's when this whole winning streak kind of started getting going and the momentum started moving the right direction. So let's see how they respond now. Yeah, that was the first winning streak pre-Toronto game because he returned December 1st against the Toronto Maple Leafs, that game when Johansson led in eight goals and they had an emergency backup goalie. But during that first winning streak before the Toronto game, that was when they switched Miko Ranton into center and they had Logan O'Connor up there and they had this whole you know, hullabaloo of players kind of up and down the lineup. It was really strange. I don't think they're going to do that this time. I think they're going to have Nazem Kadri and JT Comfer center your top two lines. Um, going back to the Sunday podcast, this is when an acquisition of Claude Giroux makes the most sense because it is top six insurance, which, you know, we talked a lot about that on Sunday. So JT Comfer and Nazem Kadri will play center at your top six, and the wingers will be the same four guys. I think that's what's going to end up happening. We already know who's going to fill in as the sixth attacker to jump the boards in case of a delay penalty or pulling a goalie at the end. It's Valerie Nichushkin. He did it twice yesterday on a delay penalty and late in the game, and he was a factor in both times. Um... So without McKinnon, which I'm sure will be just for a couple games, and then bottom of the lineup, simple as this. Dylan Sakura was called up today. He flew with the team to Chicago. Nathan McKinnon was not on that flight. He will not play Friday when you guys listen to this. Will he be ready Sunday for the home game? Perhaps. But we can't say that for sure until we know exactly what the deal is with. I I guess, you know, yeah, having a broken nose is fine. You can fix that and play, but I don't know. I'm assuming there's some kind of swelling or something that needs to go down first before you can play. Uh, I assume he's going to wear some kind of a cage or bubble. But the other thing is making sure he doesn't have a concussion, which, again, I don't think he does. Just based off of Jared Bednar saying that Nathan McKinnon, you know, I saw him when he was leaving the rink and, you know, 
if you have a concussion, you're not going to grab your keys and be like, all right, see you guys later. I'm going to go drive home. Like it's not a thing you're going to do. So uh, I think Nathan just said, you know what? I'm in a lot of pain. Let me go take some painkillers, get in bed and watch this game from home. And he got home and went, oh my God, we won. So he'll probably be back by Sunday. If not Sunday, then Tuesday. And if not Tuesday, then they get eight days off and he'll be back February 10th against the Tampa Bay Lightning. They've only got three more games left before that eight day break. I just remember Richard Hamilton of the old Detroit Pistons days, yes. right? Always wearing that mask. Let's see if uh, Trust Nathan you. McKinnon whips out something like that. Uh, Rip Hamilton and Pavel Datsuk, my favorite, they used to do this commercial, Trust Your Eyes, to Dr. Romani, and he would always have his his mask on while he was on that commercial. It was, it was <laughs> great. I don't know why I remember that. 2005, living in Detroit. But yeah, we'll see how the uh, team responds. Again, it's not exactly, uh, you know, Ride or die time, right? They don't necessarily need McKinnon right now. The most important thing is that he gets back to uh, his normal self. And who knows? It might provide the Avalanche a little bit of a spark, you know, a little bit of a mix-up and a challenge to help them keep going through this long, arduous season that we're only halfway through on. So um, let's take a second to get to Total Beverage, guys. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again, so stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster. That's right between 92nd and 96th, and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need, and more. Arif, let's get to what's next. You kind of talked about it a little bit with Chicago being the next game on Friday. I said on the Sunday podcast how tough it is to beat an NHL team twice in the same week. We saw the Avalanche kind of, I wouldn't say have a real tough time with Chicago on Monday, but it was low scoring, right? It took them a while to really bury some goals. Luckily, Francis was in net to uh, keep a shutout going, his second one of the year already. But I guess what do you expect heading into Chicago based off some of the things you saw in Monday's 2 nothing win? Is it is it crazy to expect the Avalanche to just keep winning considering they're 18-1-1 in their last 20? Uh, I don't think it's crazy because they just look so good. But, I mean, if you look at Chicago, that the way they played – the avalanche that night was it, it almost looked like a younger version of themselves or maybe just a smaller version of themselves there was a lot of speed on both sides and i think it's just you know that they put up a bigger fight than anybody expected them to so they did a good job of shutting down the avalanche for a majority of the night but how many grade a opportunities did they have i mean i know frankie made a you know he he made a number of really good saves out of the 23 but was he really pressured I, I don't I don't remember the Blackhawks really getting a ton of opportunities, even the way the Bruins did yesterday, and even Boston didn't get that many outside of their power play opportunities. Like five on five, the Bruins really didn't do much either. So uh, I think the Avalanche will be fine. And the crazy thing is, I just mentioned they play Friday, Sunday, and Tuesday, so every other day. And then after that game on the 1st, they don't play again until the 10th. So they got nine days between games, eight days off. The Blackhawks game is their toughest game. You know who the next two after that are? You're home. To make, you know, to have a chance to extend your streak to 18 and 19 games against the Buffalo Sabres and the Arizona Coyotes. It's getting it's getting easy from here. I it's gonna be hilarious because now you know just because I said that one of Arizona or Buffalo are gonna end the ball <laughs> arena streak. But I mean it's not crazy to 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 say that they're gonna win. 
especially given the way Frankie's playing, and I assume he's going to play that game, if not the next one. Now that we're talking about this break ahead, I almost feel this is the perfect opportunity for Nathan McKinnon to just have two weeks off. Don't bring him back till after the All-Star break, till everything yeah. gets going again. Just let him get this squared away, because it's not an easy thing to deal with. I mean, it's it's relatively, I guess, not life-changing, but it is annoying. It is different for you. I guess I haven't thought of this, so you tell me, because I've never had a broken nose, but do you think McKinnon will still go to All-Star weekend? Uh, it's in a week. I mean, it's a good it's, excuse it's like, for him not to, right? And yeah. with all the cameras, and he'll probably have a two broken eye or two black eyes <laughs> that usually come with a broken nose. So who who knows? I mean, I, I don't see why you, not. Maybe he'll you, show up and do all the you know, shake the hoopla, shaking babies and, and kissing play. hands. Yeah, it's just like he did in 2019 when he didn't play, he was just there. Yeah, he didn't was behind he coach? the bench. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he was behind the bench. Jared Bednar is gonna be like, uh, uh-uh. uh, no, 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 no. Our relationship is not getting to this point. The fuck off my bench. Yeah, it's then, not happening. And then Nazem Kadri <laughs> spikes a water bottle while yelling at him, right? At Nathan McKinnon. Yep, yep. Yeah, the whole thing. Gabe won't be there to hold him back, but Kale can try. I'm Kale sure McCart, if Nathan, yep. yeah, I'm sure if Nathan doesn't play, they'll just send Miko. They'll be like, hey, Avalanche, you got seven All Stars. Just give us another one. And uh, but that's a good point. But that's a, that you, is a good point. You. I mean, it's fine if it's fine if he sits the next three games, even if he decides to go to All Star break. The All Star break's a week from today. A week from tomorrow is when they would fly out there, I assume. So like, he can sit three games, chill for seven or eight days, you know, enjoy the hot chocolate and this Colorado snow we got right now, and then just show up to All Star break and then be ready for Tampa Bay right after. Yeah, crush a few Bud Lights and uh, just in, enjoy the break and the Vegas nights. Right. The um, dude doesn't eat In and Out Burger. You really think he drinks Bud Lights? <laughs> Come on, that's true. That's gross. <laughs> Um, one thing I wanted to mention is just how much it breaks my heart to see Mark Andre Fleury just, I don't want to say get abused, but man, he just doesn't seem to have much of a chance back there behind this Blackhawks team. I mean, he's so fun to watch. He's so bubbly and just tries his heart out to see him get lit up the way he does. It breaks my heart. I mean, obviously it's great when it's against the Avalanche, but man, I can't wait to see what happens with him come trade deadline. I hope he finds a new home. So there was a really interesting rumor out there um, that Elliot Freeman was talking about how the Washington Capitals are interested in him. And uh, it instantly made me remember something. And I think Elliot may have referenced this. I don't remember, but about a decade ago, the Montreal Canadiens had a defenseman named Josh Georges. You remember him? Yep. Yeah, and he played for the Buffalo Sabres afterward. But before he played for the Buffalo Sabres, he had a no-trade clause. And the Montreal Canadiens had a deal for him to get traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he wouldn't do it. Simply because I've been a Montreal Canadian for so long. Like, this is just not something I... It's like Milan Hayduke finishing his career with the Red Wings. Like, it was just something where it's like... I don't really want to do this to my legacy. Not that I think that the, the organization is you or anything. Because, like, again, you're a professional athlete. You're going to hate a team until they're the one signing your paychecks. Like, who cares? It's, right. it's hockey. Right. You know, it's all fake reality, hating the other jersey and all that. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, we've seen Alex Tanga. He was coaching the Iowa Wild in the Minnesota organization. Now he's on the bench with Jeff Blaschel in Detroit coaching the Red Wings. So, like, it's, it's not a real thing. But he just didn't want to do that to his legacy. And that's kind of the same thing that they're thinking of with Marc-Andre Fleury. Like, would Fleury really accept getting traded to Washington? I think it would be a ton of fun. It would be cool as shit to see Marc-Andre Fleury with Ovechkin and Backstrom after all those years in Pittsburgh. But I don't know if Fleury would want that. I really don't know if he would want that. Yeah, And then obviously, you still have Edmonton who's who's in there and might want him. But the Washington one is so intriguing because they badly need a goalie. 
Yeah, I mean, with Marc Andre Fleury, he's he's got that old school competition mindset, mm-hmm. but he also he's so emotional about that game. The game means yeah. so much to him that he's not gonna let old, I guess, what old actions that he remembers. He's not gonna let those die. He's not gonna forgive those, right? He's not gonna yeah. forgive whatever maybe Alexander Ovechkin said to him twelve years ago on the ice one day. He's still holding a grudge about it. So that's what you love about him, and that's why I hope to see him find some reinvigoration because he he doesn't belong in Chicago. It's hard to watch him in Chicago, and he just plays the game with so much heart that he deserves better. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure he will have a new home. There's, I mean, there's, there's absolutely zero excuse for the Blackhawks to let him finish the season there. They're not making the playoffs. He's not re-signing there. You got to get some value for him, even if it's a fourth or fifth rounder. But in this market, knowing some of the teams and their desperation level, you can get more for him. So you got to trade him. I'm really excited to see where he goes. Just please, oh, please stay away from the teams that the Avalanche are going to play because, man, I don't want to go through that again. I mean, I know he was kind of back and forth with Robin Leonard, but let's put him somewhere where we want to root for him because I love Marc-Andre Fleury. I want to go back to our uh, preseason podcast when I picked the Chicago Blackhawks to be a pretty decent team and maybe even squeak in the playoffs. And I also said the same thing about the Philadelphia Flyers. Boy, oh, boy, do I hate preseason <laughs> prediction episodes. Yeah. But- on that note, I also want to take a second to point out last week, or I guess on Sunday when we did our long episode and you brought up the idea of the Claude Giroux trade, even threw in the name Joe Pavelski, that was the night before 32 Thoughts dropped their podcast with the identical idea and identical rumor. I just want to make sure that everybody understands you did not take that from 32 Thoughts. You had that idea. You threw it at the wall. It stuck. It might <laughs> streak down the wall a little bit before it actually falls, but your idea was organic there, and uh, they came with that recording after us. It's it's kind of the same way. I mean, and, and I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's kind of the same way. Like, how long were we talking about the avalanche, you know, being a goalie away and that goalie maybe being Darcy Kemper? Like, think back a little over 12 months ago, before Philip yeah, Group. I remember yeah. us saying a couple other names yeah, yeah. in Mark there. Crawford, Eventually one of them, you're going to get yeah, it right. Yeah, Mark Crawford was one of them, like way back before the 2020-21 season when Philip Grubauer did what he did. So Not Mark Crawford, Corey Crawford. I don't want to see Mark oh, Crawford. Oh, shit, jeez. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Corey <laughs> Crawford, yeah, and he ended up signing with the Devils and then being like, psych, and retired. Never but mind. I'm out of here, bye. See ya, freaks. Um, so uh, that, like I said, hey, we got this awesome jersey idea that we're going to unveil. What do you think, Corey Crawford? He's like, He's gonna be like it just says jersey on it. I'm out of look here. Look at the time. I'm out of here. See you later, <laughs> Hall of Famer that decided that you are now a Photoshop jersey designer. Um, Marty Brodeur taking a shot at him. It's always fun. But uh, but yeah, I mean, Darcy Kemper was kind of the guy that we, you know, it made a lot of sense. It's one of those things that you always think about. So, you know, in fantasy land, Claude Drew to the Avalanche makes a lot of sense. And then Elliot Friedman comes out and says that the Avalanche players have been kind of, he's heard that the Avalanche players have been kind of reaching out to Drew like, come here, come here. We want you here. Because Claude's got a no trade clause, so he kind or no movement in general, he kind of can uh, you know decide his own fate if he chooses to do so, which might bring his value down a little bit. Might mean the Avalanche can get him for a better bargain. So that'll be really interesting, really intriguing to watch. There's a ton of names out there this year, and it's going to be really, really fun to see what the Avs do. I love how the Flyers really threw Giroux under the bus and came out and publicly said, if he leaves, it's his decision. We're giving him full control, right? They did it as like a way of respect, but at the same time also yeah. trying not to insult their fans, right? They're saying, hey, if he leaves, that it's on him. We did, we had nothing to do Honest, with it. Honestly, man, Philadelphia Flyers fans right now, in their mind, trade him. 
They know they're not going anywhere. They need value back for him. He's going to be a free agent. He probably isn't going to come back. And if he does, it's no no reason to. He's not going to win a cup there anytime soon. Granted, they did say they have a blank check to go out and sign a UFA or you know do what they got to do to fix the team. So two names come to mind instantly for me. Number one is Johnny Goudreau, good old Philadelphia boy who's going to be a free agent this summer. Number two is Nazem Kadri because, you know, there's an old hockey brain out there, old hockey mind saying Nazem Kadri's got the tenacity and the bullying and the and the viciousness of a Broad Street bully, the old school Philadelphia Flyers game of hockey. And you know that the Flyers are going to look at that and be like, we will give you $9 million for the next five <laughs> years. Nas, come play with us. And he's going to be like, I've already signed the blank check, buddy, on my way. So um, we'll see where it goes. But uh, I think the Claude Giroux thing is 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 just hilarious that it, you know, it was a fantasy idea. And now it's kind of like, yeah, this could actually happen. Last thing I wanted to mention, this was supposed to be a shorter podcast, but, you know, we're we incapable can. of those is the uh, the drum line at Ball Arena. Uh, I think they're really talented drummers. They really uh, do their best to get a, a soft crowd on their feet and a little bit more hype. But I could just see how much they love music, how talented they are, and how into it. I, I, and I love the drum line. I think they've been great. I think they've been overlooked. And uh, nobody's really given them the attention they deserve. So shout out to that drum line out there. If any of you guys are listening, you know, I don't know. Point to the press box next game yeah. and give me an air of a little shout out. Habibis we'll, we'll, of the show. We'll, we'll give you a thumbs up right back. Yeah, no, those guys are awesome. And, uh, you know, the ball arena crowd, whatever they're doing is working because the Avs keep winning there. But it hasn't been the loudest every game. But when you have teams like the Boston Bruins in town and all of their fan base kind of there really doing their part to try to embarrass the home crowd and chant, let's go Bruins. Then you hear the avalanche fans come out and then the drumming on top of it. And then you're making a comeback and God, it just gets so much fun if it was like that all the time. Um, but shout out to those guys. Those guys are, are the life of ball arena many nights. And it's, it's really great to see what they're doing. Yeah. I think it was, uh, what was it? Saturday during the Montreal game when they cut to two guys in the crowd and those guys just looked like they had about eight edibles each before the game. <laughs> so maybe, yeah, I remember that. That was hilarious. Maybe that's what's going on. But uh, no, uh, I love it. I like the crowd. I think the crowd's moving in the right direction and, and can show some improvement, but, you know, move in the right direction, like I said. And, and the closer we get to playoffs, yeah. the more energy will naturally come out. I was going to say, just like, just like the Avalanche, you know, it's just kind of let's stroll through to the playoffs like Nathan McKinnon, you know, go through the ups and downs and bumps and bruises and broken noses. And when we get to the playoffs, full-blown fan effect. It's going to be so much fun. Isn't that the old Joe Sackick line, wake me up when the playoffs start? Yep. Well, I hear that. We still got a whole half a season to get to here. <laughs> um, well, I just want to shout out before we uh, end this podcast. Yep. First of all, shout out to Patrick Stedman. has got to edit 54 minutes of what should be a 25 to 30 minute midweek episode, but... Pavel Francouz, this stat blew me away. His shutout against the Blackhawks was his second consecutive game with a shutout. And no Avalanche goalie has done that since Patrick Wong 2003. Wow. How has Varley or Jaguar or, or Jose Theodore, David Abisher, how has nobody tripped into two shutouts in a row? It hasn't happened since Patrick Wong did it. Yeah, fascinating stuff and just a testament to where this team is at and where they have been the last 19 years, right? Exactly, yeah. And I mean, it's it's just great to see that they're finally, like they're breaking all these records. Again, let's appreciate what they're doing. Like this is a hockey team that was terrible for so many years 
and and we finally get to watch a winning product, winning 18 of 20 games. Like it used to be Brendan McNicholas for the Avalanche, the PR guy. He used to tweet out, this is the best stretch since 97. This is the best stretch since 01. This is the best since 04. This is the best since 02. This is the best since 2000. Now, literally everything he tweets is best ever, best ever, best ever. But like they're doing something we've never career seen high. You get a career high. Yeah. You get a career high. And Kale McCarr and Nazem, uh, not Nazem Kadri, Kale McCarr and Gabe Landeskog yesterday reaching 40, 40 points each. Fourth and fifth avalanche guys to do it, joining Kadri, McKinnon, and Rantanen. They got five guys operating at over a point per game pace. And that doesn't include Devon Taves, who's got 30-something and 30-something games as well. Yep, appreciate it while you can. Much like the, uh, the forward, or I guess the center over there at the Denver Nuggets. There's not going to be another guy like him. There's not going to be He's another unreal. team as dominant as this avalanche team team is at least not in the near future so yeah enjoy it while you can let's be positive and root this team on to the end any closing thoughts before we wrap this baby please up, wrap it up before patrick sedman quits <laughs> all right well let's get out of here everybody thanks so much for listening shout out to our two sponsors DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook app and total beverage both in thornton and westminster check them out and uh don't forget to Leave us some comments. Leave us a, a rating on iTunes or on Spotify, whatever you use to listen to us. Leave us a little note and uh, you know, tell other listeners what to expect when they click on this podcast here. So that being said, thanks so much for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty heart. Bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we at you. <laughs>